It's time for Ask Dale Anything, the show that answers your most perplexing questions with profound answers from one of the top transformational teachers and leaders on the planet, Dale Halloway. I'm your host, Mickey Manning, Dale's left-hand person, as I like to call it, and I've never heard a question that he can't answer. He's been doing this for over 40 years now, and he truly has an answer that's profound and helpful on any topic. So with that, let's get into today's question. All right. Well, hello. And I just want to let you guys know before we get started here, our best question bonus giveaway is underway as of our 50th podcast episode a couple episodes ago, and it is still going on. So please send us your best question to askdale at askdaleanything.com. That's askdale at askdaleanything.com. And you will get entered into a drawing for one of Dell Holloway's amazing transformational courses which is really going to help you move the needle forward in your life. doesn't matter which course you get. All of them are amazing. And just for sending in your question, you're going to get your question answered and you're going to get the opportunity to win one of these courses. So please send your question to us. Okay, so Dale, let's get into our question. Sounds good. <laughs> okay, so this question was emailed in from Stephanie in Texas. Stephanie says. I understand, Dale, that you have some teachings on the games that people play, and I feel like I am being forced to play a game with one of my family members. I don't want to participate, but I don't know how not to buy into their setup. Can you explain some of these games and a strategy for not playing games with other people? Yeah, so... One of the games, uh, just to give us a, a platform to kind of leap off of here, one of the games is the guilt game. Um, the guilt game, like any of the games, at least the way I teach them, requires two players. And more specifically, they've got to be players that complement each other. So... And these types of games, I guess you could say are more on the dysfunctional side, disempowering side. That doesn't have to be a bad thing, especially when you understand why it is you're still engaged in the game, right? In other words, you have a deeper why. There's something going on inside of you that you probably haven't addressed yet. And so that's that needs to be included in whatever the strategy is going to be to ultimately unwind yourself out of this game plane. So going back to the example of the guilt game. So the guilt game works in a way where you have your two players and player one would be the guilt uh, thrower. So you've got to have somebody that's good at throwing guilt. Equal to that, you've got to have somebody that's also good at being willing to catch the guilt. So in the guilt game, you have the guilt thrower and then you have the guilt catcher. Uh, Each role is very specific and yet it complements or augments the other role. In other words, if we only had the guilt thrower, but there was no guilt catcher around, this could be really activating to the guilt thrower. In fact, it could be downright depressing because in order for the guilt thrower to not just play the game, 
the guilt thrower needs something from the game. And what the guilt thrower needs is a guilt catcher because the only way the guilt thrower gets whatever that energy is that comes to him or her when they're throwing guilt is when the guilt catcher actually catches the guilt. In other words, there's, there's an exchange that actually occurs here, Stephanie. There's this exchange. So if I'm the guilt catcher and someone else is the guilt thrower and they enter into the room or we get on a phone call together and they begin to throw guilt and I have my catcher's mitt up that day, energetically speaking, and I start catching that guilt. So what now happens on an energetic level, my energy is going to go down and the guilt thrower's energy, I know this is going to sound real strange, but the guilt thrower's energy is actually going to go up. And the reason why the guilt thrower's energy goes up, because the guilt thrower ends up getting energy, as in more energy, from the guilt catcher. That uniquely enough, the guilt catcher has been willing to give as a way to catch this guilt. So now, in all fairness to the guilt catcher, if we're a guilt catcher and we just haven't recognized that yet, in other words, we've lost consciousness around this part of the game of being the guilt catcher. So now what that more than likely means for us is we have at least one guilt thrower, energetically speaking again, in our world. And, and if we don't, and we're pretty committed to be remaining the guilt thrower, or pardon me, the guilt catcher, then it's a question of time. The universe will bring in a guilt thrower. Because in order for this game to work, you need both players. I mean, I always emphasize this. Um, and, and yet, even when I emphasize this, sometimes people still don't get it. Or they need to come back and be reminded of it yet again. That the only way this game works is you've got to have both players. So the, the guilt thrower throws guilt as a way to control the dynamic of the conversation, the dynamic of the experience that the guilt thrower is having with the guilt catcher. So this is a way for the guilt thrower to now feel like, and again, in all fairness to them, they could be completely unconscious towards this, but it, what it does, it gives them a feeling like when, once they throw the guilt and the guilt is actually caught by somebody else, they actually feel empowered by that or powered up. It's not a real empowerment, but they get a surge. They get a surge of energy like, oh my gosh, I'm back in the driver's seat again. Oh my gosh, I'm back in control again. Oh my gosh, I'm pulling, I'm pulling this person back in again because this person who is say the guilt catcher now, the guilt catcher is also up to something here as well. So the guilt catcher, uh, more than likely, for example, has a worth issue where the guilt thrower, more than likely, has a control issue as I highlighted. And so these two issues come together because they augment each other. They actually support each other. So within that guilt catcher, the guilt catcher could have a pattern, a lower energy pattern of giving their power away. So now you can start to see the set here. So if I have a lower energy pattern as a guilt catcher to give my power away that I'm completely unconscious towards, but nonetheless, 
I still have the pattern. Even if I'm unconscious, I still have the pattern, which means the pattern is going to play like a program in your computer, right? It's just going to play over and over again. So in this case, I'm looking for somebody as the guilt catcher. I'm looking for somebody to actually give my power away to. The guilt thrower is looking for somebody to take their power. Thus, why these two people, when they go into a transaction energetically together, the after the transaction is done, the guilt catcher will crawl away from the conversation because they will feel like they've either been sucked on energetically or they've been drained or depleted, like something seriously has happened prior to stepping into this conversation or meeting with this individual, the guilt thrower that is. And so they'll, they'll recognize it like, oh, they maybe don't recognize why they're feeling that way, but now they're feeling down, they're feeling depressed, uh, they're feeling maybe even um, you know depleted or drained because they're, they literally gave their power away. And they gave it to the guilt thrower who is more than willing to take it. And that's why you'll see whenever this transaction goes on between these two, the guilt catcher always walks away with their shoulders down, their head down. The guilt thrower walks away with their shoulders up and their head up, or their shoulders back and the head up, their head up. Because again, I know this sounds really strange, but in this case, the guilt thrower walks away with a surge of energy. So not only do they feel like they're back in control again of the conversation, of you, whatever, but in addition to that, because there's been an exchange of power that's been given to them through that of the guilt catcher, now they get a surge of energy because that power equates to energy. And that's why you'll have the guilt thrower walking away, feel a little more energized. They won't be able to sustain it, in other words, they're going to need to go do this again with whoever their guilt catcher friends are in their life in order to get that energy back. So, But they will get a surge, and that surge will hang around, kind of like when you have a drink of alcohol, you get a little surge of happy energy, so to speak, but it never lasts. Where the guilt catcher, the guilt catcher walks away feeling drained or depleted and sometimes downright depressed, quite frankly, and out of sorts. In other words, they've kind of moved away from their center they might even feel like they've been hit by like a Mack truck, so to speak. Um, they really feel like, oh, I just want to go home and lay down right now. Or I don't even know what happened just now. I, I feel like a schmuck. Because again, we see with the guilt catcher, there's that worth issue. So once they give their power away or give their energy over to the, the uh, guilt thrower, then at that juncture, whatever that worth issue is, that gets activated and of course, when we have a worth issue, what that really means is we have parts of us inside or feelings, deep, deep held on feelings inside that suggest that we are unworthy, that we are undeserving and that we deserve this type of treatment and so on. So that's it's more of that type of stuff that then comes to the surface. And then again, if the person's not aware, that's where they can go off into a little bit of a depression for a couple of hours kind of thing or at the very least, just feel like real lethargic, like I, now I don't want to do anything. They kind of go into their cave or go into quiet because they just, they don't have the energy where again, the guilt thrower now has extra energy. So now they want to go out and party 
Now they right. want to go. You know, <laughs> want to go have another conversation with somebody else, kind of thing. You know, I came from a family that they were like professional guilt throwers, and <laughs> it. Um, religious guilt was the big thing, you know, that I came from a very religious family. And so there was so much just persecution in general. But one of the things I noticed was this was like very transgenerational. And as I became aware of this from your teachings, I would have different family members that'd be like, you're making me feel guilty. And and I wasn't at all. I wasn't playing this game with them. And yet that's that was coming from within them, as I, I've heard you teach before. But can you expand on that? Because I know that when it's passed on through generations, it's difficult. But sometimes people are trying to catch a game that you're not playing anymore as well, it seems. Well, yeah. I mean, the guilt catcher, the, the guilt catcher, someone who's really true to guilt catching, meaning they've been guilt catching for, you know, a good amount of time now, meaning at least five years, 10 years, maybe even 20 years, right? They've been doing this for a while. This has become kind of like a lifestyle for them. And that they, in all fairness to at least anybody that I've worked with at this level, at the beginning, they're all unconscious towards this. Right. Like when I first start bringing this to people's attentions or to people's attention, I mean, at first they're shocked. They're just shocked. And then sometimes it takes them a little bit to even wrap their brain around it. Then they start to wrap their brain around it then they actually see it in action in their own life, perhaps for the first time in 10 years. And this kind of blows their mind because they see it literally in full living color being played out right now. And so the guilt catcher also has a thought pattern inside that says exactly what you just said, Mickey, about your family, when all of a sudden they'll accuse somebody, are you trying to make me feel guilty right now? Or better yet, they'll make a statement and you're making me feel guilty right now, right? right? They're so used to being, uh, or they're so used to feeling guilty. Because again, it's like anything. The more you do of something, the more you become of that thing. Whatever that is, whether it's positive or negative. And so if I'm living as a guilt catcher for, again, a long period of my life, it gets to the point where, all of a sudden thoughts th or thought forms or thought structures that come onto the screen of my mind that literally have me right away jump to the gun. You know, you're, you're now making me feel guilty. Well, no, I'm not. Right. But yes, you are. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And, and they can get actually fairly assertive with that from time to time because inside of them, they're so used to feeling guilty. And when you're so used to feeling guilty, quite frankly, it's the smallest of things, like the tiniest of things that can literally activate those feelings of feeling guilty again. And so when those feelings of guilty come up, even through some act of innocence, meaning you're not, there's nothing about you that's attempting to make this person feel guilty, but there's something you said in a certain way that you're not even able to put your finger on it. That was innocent because there was no intent to make them feel guilty, right? But there was something in a way that registered with, registered with them, meaning maybe a tone in your voice that reminded them of a tone of someone else's voice that was the guilt thrower. That's all registered inside of them uh, at the level of their cellular memory. So then rooted in all that is all these feelings of 
feeling guilty because that's how they've been living for, as I said, a good portion of time. So when that gets activated by someone who's just innocently said something, so to speak, that then reminds the guilt catcher through a tone. I know this, I'm speaking, this is very subtle now. It's a tone. So I say something and it's the tone of my voice that right away can trigger or activate someone's feeling of feeling guilty. Now, the tone in itself had nothing to do with me trying to make them feel guilty. And if you go and study my words, you'll see my words give it away. There's nothing in my words that was trying to make them feel guilty. But the tone that I was using was enough to cause a resonance to trigger or activate the buried feelings that are inside the person that normally would be the guilt catcher. And then when that comes up, then there's this thought process, because the longer you do this, then the more of this that builds inside of you. And in light of that, that's where the thought comes. You're making me feel guilty right now. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And that person is absolutely convinced that you are because that feeling of guilt has now been activated and it's flooding the cells of their physical body. So in their world, they are convinced that that's exactly what you just did. Right. Even though what you just did had nothing to do with making them feel guilty. Very interesting. That's just, it's crazy. It's like this whole perpetual cycle. So let's talk about some of the other games. I remember a big one that you talked about that resonated with me was the blame game. And I know you have a whole list of them. So can you kind of, you know, run through a couple more as some examples here? Yeah. So the blame game, um, you know, is, as I have often said, uh, it's one of the more popular games. I mean, we even have a television show a television series called The Blame Game. Um, We do? I didn't know that. Yeah. So, uh, and that came on the scene, I don't know, a few years back. I don't recall exactly when, but um, clearly there was a show called The Blame Game. Right. And perhaps it's still running. Uh, You could check your own TV guide to see if it is or possibly not anymore. But nonetheless, it just, it shows the manifestation. It shows that we as a humanity, um, it's, easy for us to get hooked into blaming somebody. It's so easy. In fact, if you're not paying attention, there's a real good likelihood that you're possibly playing this game. And the game, again, goes like this. You have to, first of all, you have to have two players. So you need somebody that's willing to project blame onto someone else, which really means somebody where something's gone wrong in their world uh, that's making them feel something that maybe they don't like to feel, or something's gone wrong in their world that's now caused a negative consequence for them that they also don't like to experience. And so when these types of things happen, their tendency, as in their like default, is to look outside of themselves to point the blame onto. So that could be someone or something. Someone could be their wife or husband, could be one of their children, could be a mother or father, could be their best friend, could be an employee, an employer, you get it from there. The something could be uh, onto a project that's now failed, uh, the economy, uh, maybe you had a financial investment, you just found out that you lost most of your money. Um, So that would 
qualify for more in the something category. So when something happens that causes something within us to come up that we have not yet taken responsibility for, or that we have not healed yet with inside of ourselves, as in an uncomfortable feeling or a negative feeling, or as in an uncomfortable experience, as in a negative consequence for a choice that we made, and now we're experiencing this negative consequence. Next thing you know, we're looking for someone or something to blame, period. Because that's what we do. That's the blame game, right? Now, what's even more interesting, because again, you have to have someone on the receiving end in order to play this game effectively. It's the only way it works. So you got to have somebody that's literally willing to take on the blame, <laughs> which means it's got to be somebody who's willing to take on the projection. So if I blame somebody for whatever's going on within me, either with inside of me physically or uh, somewhere with inside of uh, the core of my life, that when I'm blaming, what I'm really doing is I'm projecting. I'm projecting something onto someone else or onto something else that I don't, uh, for whatever the reason, I don't want to take responsibility for yet. In other words, I want you to be responsible for whatever it is that I'm experiencing inside of either my body or somewhere in my life, financially, uh, relationally wise, uh, maybe even spiritually wise, um, career wise, health wise, you get the idea. So in this world, in this 3D world, there's always been somebody that's willing to play the game with the one who projects blame onto somebody. So once again, and now these two people come together, one is willing to take on the blame. And one of the ways in how you'll spot this person is over time, their shoulders, like literally, their shoulders physically start to get real heavy. Across the back of their shoulder line, they can start to manifest things that do not look healthy in their body. Ooh. In fact, look kind of weird. And, but what happens if I take on the blame from somebody else? First of all, this blame that I've now taken on, um, there's really nothing I can do with it. Like, this is not my blame. This blame belongs to somebody else or this energy belongs to somebody else. So now I take it on, I place it on my shoulders, and I keep it there. Then I do it again, maybe with the same person or with somebody else or a combination thereof. And over time, my shoulders get heavier and heavier and heavier because I've now taken on energy from other people that's been projected my way, as in I'm, I took on the blame around what they thought I either did wrong or what they thought that I did incorrectly. And that's why they were, that's why they were feeling the way they were feeling, or that's why they were experiencing the negative consequence they were now experiencing. And so now again, like these games, until you become fully aware of them, most people, they're just unconscious. They don't know they're playing this game because if they knew they were playing this game, then they would also know the consequence of this game, the effect that this game, or quite frankly, any of these types of games have on us and our lives. So if now I'm the 
person taking on the blame, I've already kind of highlighted some of the effect. And over time, if I keep on doing that, that effect is gonna weigh heavy on me. And so now where might that show up? That might show up in my finances, where my finances get really heavy. Or it might show up in my love part of my life. That gets really heavy. Or it might show up in my own health. I might start having health problems. Like again, especially in the backside of the shoulder line. Uh, this is where over time, not a guarantee of course, but over time where something can manifest in that part of our body. And so all of that becomes uh, the, the consequential effect. The consequential effect of having now taken on other people's energy in the name of that blame, taking it on and somehow I'm going to make it now about me. Now, why would I do such a thing? Well, more than likely, I have a big time issue around the idea of standing up for myself uh, and speaking up for myself. But more specifically, in a healthy way. Not in a way where you scream and holler and, and condescend and, and aggress upon the other person, but rather in a way where it's done maturely. Now, I get if you've never done this before, then the pendulum's gonna swing from one extreme to the other extreme before you find the middle ground in that pendulum swing. But nonetheless, this now becomes possibly an issue, which then is loaded with some kind of a lesson that I'm really to be learning around this idea of getting better at speaking up for myself, getting better at standing up for myself, and you know, no longer being willing to take on this blame from somebody else that's projecting it my way. So now on the other side of that same coin would be the, you know, the one who's throwing the blame, the one who's projectiling. Now, this one is having a very different experience, believe it or not, even though you're, you're in the same game, but you're playing it from different angles, right? So the, the um, person who's throwing the blame, what they're doing they more than likely have some kind of an issue around avoiding responsibility, or in some cases are just downright irresponsible. Um, and they do irresponsible things. In other words, they're not, they're not taking on personal responsibility for themselves and for their own thoughts and their own feelings and their own choices and their own actions. And so... So rather what they're doing is when something goes off or haywire for them, when they're playing this game, they have one or two people in their world where they just can project this onto them. They then take it on. But the person who's throwing the blame, what they also are usually unconscious of, because again, if you were fully unconscious of this, I can't imagine you continue to do this anymore. At least I don't know of anybody who ever would. Um, because there's a consequence for this. There's a consequential effect. So if I'm throwing blame, and more specifically, if somebody catches it. So I've worked with a lot of parents in helping them to become more conscious and responsible as parents to that of their children, their offspring. And this is one of the games that get played that can get played out through that of their own parental style with one of their kids, where they learned when they were younger, before they became a parent, how to play this game. And more and, and possibly we're playing this game with either their mother or their father, or maybe an older sibling, or even a younger sibling. And they got really good at it. 
so good that they went unconscious. And so, in other words, they're not even aware they're doing it. Now they're a parent and they have a seven-year-old boy or girl. And all of a sudden, the seven-year-old boy or girl becomes the one that's going to catch the projection. And here we got mommy or daddy are the ones who are projecting the blame onto their seven-year-old child. I know that sounds strange. Why would anybody in their right mind ever even do, ever do such a thing? Well, I already gave it away in that statement, didn't I, or in that question. And the question would be, are they even in their right mind when they're playing this game? And especially when it comes to their children. Um, so it, it can play out in so many different ways, but what the person who is projecting, in other words, putting blame out, avoiding the act of, of personal responsibility for themselves, true on, total on self-responsibility, that uh, what they're not in touch with is the potential consequential effect this creates in their life. So if I get away with that, and I literally now project blame onto somebody else that takes it on. Well, now they're going to have their own experience with it, as I already highlighted as well, because they get a consequential effect here too. But it's different than the person that's actually throwing out the blame. The person that's throwing out the blame, this is the person that ends up creating negative karma for themselves. Because... When this person is showing up this way, again, going back to the example of the parent and the child. So if as a parent, I'm playing this game with my kids, and especially when they're younger, meaning they're you know 13 years or younger of age, and I'm still playing this game. So I'm now proje I'm projectiling onto them. Obviously, they're a child. And so for the most part, they're probably not even aware of what the heck's going on here. All they know is that when I project, they're going to feel it. It's, it's going to hit them like a ton of bricks coming at them. And all of a sudden, they maybe get a little depressed or all of a sudden they run out of energy um, or all of a sudden their eyelids get real heavy in front of you or they start spinning around in a circle in, like internally, like they get a little dizzy, like they've just been hit energetically, maybe not physically, but energetically because it's an energetic hit when we do this. And so, so now a child that doesn't have a good filter yet. Actually, I know a lot of 35-year-olds that still don't have a good filter either. And so, but nonetheless, they get hit with this. They don't know what to do with it. So they completely take it on. And as they take it on, then that starts to affect them somehow, some way, especially if this becomes a pattern, a way of living in the household over the next number of years. So you can see from the parental standpoint, if part of my parental style is to blame my child for feeling the way I'm feeling, um, you know, as in, uh, you know, you're making me feel this way. Or had you have not done this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be feeling what I'm now feeling. So therefore, I'm blaming you for what it is you did because what you did has now completely affected me. <laughs> Where in truth, whatever you did, yeah, you maybe did do that, but how did it affect me? Well, it affected me because it probably activated something within me that I'm not quite ready to be responsible for. And therefore, whatever it activated within me, as in maybe a darker, deeper, denser, more negative-oriented feeling or emotion that came up for me, or maybe even an old memory from my past that has all kinds of trauma still built into it that I have not yet released on, right? It comes up, and right away, I'm so convinced in my head, in my mind, 
that you did this. So therefore, I'm now blaming you, my nine-year-old son. I'm now blaming you for this. And I might even take it a little further and make you pay for it. Or at the very least, I'm going to make a little bit of a deal of it. And either through my words or my actions or both, I'm basically going to send the message to you that you're the cause of this. Well, if that happens a handful of times while we're raising our child, you can probably see at some point there's going to be a consequential effect for this. Sure. Number one, this is going to affect our child. I mean, how could it not affect our child over time? Maybe not right away, but over time. As it's affecting our child, so again, coming back to the idea of possibly creating negative karma for ourselves, now you can maybe see as a parent operating through this parental style in the energy of this game, the blame game, you can see how later on in life, not right away, but what's happening now, negative karma is being created, which means at some point later on in life, whether that's five years from now, 10 years from now, 25, 25 years from now, for each person, it's probably going to be a little, little different here. But nonetheless, it's going to boomerang back. And now your child, who's maybe 17 years of age, or 26 years of age, or 33 years of age, is going to start to boomerang it back. In other words, karma now comes back. So however this has possibly affected our child throughout the course of those earlier years, that all gets kind of set in on a cellular level for our child who's now in a young adult's body. And somewhere it spins back. And in that spinning back, that in itself could potentially qualify for the negative karma that's been created by that of the parent when the parent was parenting through that of this type of a parental style, as in being engaged in this blame game. And now it's spinning back. It's like the boomerang. Now the energy we put out, because remember blame, Blame is a, is a projectiling energy. It's an energy that we are aggressively putting out. There's a law in the universe that, you know, whatever goes out, it must come back. I mean, everybody's heard the, that old adage, what goes around comes around. Right. That's that boomerang effect. So that's why I say that in some cases with some individuals, and again, they're probably not even aware of it because if they were aware of it, they clearly would be shifting this up rather quickly. But they could very well be creating negative karma uh, that they don't even begin to pay back until years or maybe even a couple decades later. So really, at any point along the way, the thrower is going to become the catcher. Well, yes. Or the, could. Well, the thrower, well, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I suppose. Well, the catcher, because it is going to spin back. So, you know, and I'm using the example of our kids. So yeah. it could spin back with our kids, but it doesn't necessarily have to spin, uh, come back through our kids. Um, I mean, I've heard of situations where parents in the, these types of scenarios, where the kid grows up and becomes 35 years of age and begins to disown the parent. Mm. doesn't even want to hang out with the parent anymore. So it's, it's coming back because that's probably going to hurt the parent. Right. It's coming back, but on, so that's more indirect. So directly, that negative karma that's been created could spin back through somebody else that you don't even see coming. Gotcha. Remember, it's more of a universal thing. 
it's a universal law. And so, and from, and from that perspective, it's never taken personally um, at all. It's, it's so uh, generic. It's so universal. It's, it's so unemotional. It's so, uh, it's so precise. It's so bright. It's so precise. So if I'm balancing, if I'm bringing that scale out of balance, then I create a negative karma that once again could come back if, in fact, I have been projecting, blaming my child throughout the course of his or her younger life, could come back to that child directly or indirectly, like I said. But I'd say in, in a number of times, like 50% of the times, it can also come back through a complete unexpected source through maybe the person's lover, partner, right. uh, business partner. I've seen it play out later on in life with business partners. And I, I mean, I've seen some really nasty stuff go down the pike um, because it's now spinning back. It's spinning back. And so, yes, you could say on that level, then that person's catching it, uh, possibly. Uh, but really what what's happening, it's coming back at them uh, as a way for them to have uh, an experience on the opposite side of what it was they used to be on. So back in the days when they were projectiling, um, you know, and especially if they weren't getting it there. So then fast forward years later, and now it's spinning back as in a karmic um, experience, it's spinning back. And so as it's doing so, now it's coming back so that we now um, experience it from a completely different place where we're now out of control uh, or another way of saying the same thing, actually, it's not the correct way, where we have very little control. Once it spins back, what that means is it's now found us. Mm. And once it finds us, it will not let us go until that karma becomes resolved. Once it's resolved, it lets us go. That's when we become free of it. But in that process of becoming free of it, we will have learned at least a couple of real profound lessons. Because now we weren't just giving out the energy, we're now receiving the energy that we literally gave out years prior. Wow. These games are always so fascinating to me. So now, before we get into some strategies for trying to stop playing them, let's uh, maybe cover a couple more just so that maybe people can start to recognize which ones they might be caught up in. So can you, um, I know we've, we've got a little bit of time left here. Could you maybe just touch on, uh, I know you have a whole list of them, but maybe just a few more of the more um, uh, common ones. Well, you could have a game of like, you know, the... Uh, but I'd suggest we give one more and then I'll take it to strategies just because we okay. only have a limited amount of time here in the okay, podcast great. today. One Rather, more, perfect. Again, you can see we can get deeper and deeper and deeper in this. Whenever oh, yeah. I'm teaching this class on the games, I mean, as you know, Mickey, we'll spend at least three, if not four days. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, which course you had that that was in. If this is something that's really of interest to people, uh, was it in How to Create Extraordinary Relationships that you cover this? Or I know you have several. You've covered this in multiple classes, but um, does one in, come to mind? Yeah, this is in our Relationship and You series, course series, uh, which I I think the only audio course that we have right on our in our online 
platform is uh, how to create extraordinary relationships. The Relationship in You series, which we're going to be coming out with uh, here soon, uh, meaning in course-like form, so people from all around the world will be able to um, invest in these courses and own them and go through the courses as, as frequently as they wish to or as often as they wish to. Um, but this particular course would be found in that Relationship in You series, and it'll be very specific, you know, once it comes out in a full-on course online, that is, because um, up until now, we've only done it live. We've only done it where it's all in person. You come as a group of people. We all come together and we spend at least three, if not four days together, and we really go through these games. Right. Uh, it'll, it'll shake the ground you walk on. There's oh, no yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember yeah. it well. So, well, everybody can listen, look for that to come then. The Relationship and You series is, I know there's a couple of those that are coming out later this year and next year. So uh, if this is of interest to you guys, definitely check it out. And so, Dale, with the time we have left, maybe touch on one more for them. Yeah. So another game uh, is um, the In-Out game. In-Out. So this is where two people come together. <laughs> Again, remember I said they're kind of dysfunctional and even disempowering. So now the idea is you want to turn this from a place of disempowerment and a place of dysfunctional to a place that becomes functional to a place that becomes empowering and, and hopefully mutually empowering for both parties in the relationship. That would be the idea here. So this game is really unique. How you play this game, you've got to have two players once again, and one player. Uh, in the relationship or in the friendship or in the business partnership, one player's got to be out. Simultaneously, the other player's got to be in. This is, what, this is what glues them together. So now the relationship, for the most part, is never really profoundly fulfilling um, or satisfying uh, or stimulating. Well, no, I shouldn't say it. Stimulating, it could be. Um, because this obviously can be very activating, this type of a relationship or friendship, because what happens, you never get to first base in this relationship. It's impossible. You're, you're just never going to do it. And because at any one given time, only one of you is in the relationship, in the friendship, in the partnership, which means at that exact same time, the other one is out energetically. Now, you know, it, it can look like you're both together. And if you are in a love relationship, there you are walking down the, uh, down the street and you're holding hands. It looks like the two of you are together. And yet, while you're walking down the street, holding hands, one of you can be very in the relationship and the other one can be completely out. It, again, it's an amazing game. Right? <laughs> it sounds very it's, unfulfilling. <laughs> it, it, it is. And so... Um, you know, and then these two that if they're unconscious towards this, they could play this game, quite frankly, for months or even years. Wow. Because uniquely enough, the game keeps them together. Hmm. Because when the when the partner that's going out, what that means is the other partner's coming in. So when the other partner's coming in, the other partner is now kind of in pursuit of the partner who's gone out. The partner who's gone out. <laughs> is running for the hills. Oh, jeez. <laughs> right? So, so in this, the partner that's running away from the relationship or the friendship or the partnership, uh, you could say that 
he or she's feeling somewhat needed all of a sudden because their other partner now is finally going to give them some attention uh, because the other partner is now back in. And that, now, now I really want to connect with you. Now I really want to have that deeper conversation. Now I really want to, you know, uh, uh, have incredible, passionate love with you. Now, now I do want to go to the movies. Now I do want to go out to romantic dinners. Or if you're in a business partnership, now I really want to uh, build out our strategic plan. Now I want to really start recruiting more people into our company. Now I want to move our company forward. But now your partner has literally left the building, even though he can be standing right in front of you. Meh. Maybe not. <laughs> right? It's crazy. And so, and then that goes on for a little while. And then, and then they, then they shift roles. And huh. then all of a sudden the partner that was out, something happens and he or she decides to get back in. And right around the exact same time, um, the other partner is now on their way back out. Um, I remember years ago, I, I've been teaching games for a long time. And so this is probably, I don't know, a lot of years ago. And um, we were at the point where somebody suggested to me, like, you know what, Dale, what would be really good is to put these partnerships on video. And so people could actually watch this game in full motion because once they start playing, they lose consciousness. I mean, you've got to really build your consciousness. You've got to really raise your awareness. That's part of the strategy to unravel out of these games. Right. That's one of the reasons why I often encourage come back to the next class, regardless of what the title is. Um, you know, have a good coach, like a good transformational life coach in your corner, whoever that person is. Have a good mentor who really understands this, because you're probably going to need that someone or something. Uh, if for any reason, just as a reality check to get you back into your grounding position, get you back into your center, because when you are. When, when you've been out of the partnership and you're getting ready to come back in and the partner that you're with who's been in, they're getting ready to go back out. So these two just do this dance back and forth. Now, what does it do over time? It weakens the relationship. It begins to produce problems, manifest problems that these two people in whatever form they've come together in never had from the very beginning. This game, I've watched it literally manifest what I would call unnecessary problems. In other words, problems that was not a part of their destiny to even experience. These two, if they were to stay into this, I mean, they could literally bury themselves because at some point, this game becomes so tiring and so exhausting and so frustrating and even irritating and, and, and even scary, it, it, this game will further support the reinforcement of your fears that you still haven't dealt with inside. Oh, and by the way, in this game, as in all the games, every game also has a core fear in it. And I know in the first two games, I didn't give away the core fear, but in this game, I will. And the core fear, uniquely enough, you can probably guess it. In fact, make you go ahead and take a guess. See if you, just based on what I shared so far about this game, what the core fear might be of these two people. Fear of being alone? Well, it could be. Or fear I, of I, rejection? I mean, I, I don't know. There's several come to mind. Okay, well, wait until you hear this and see what happens. At the core level of these two individuals, there's a fear of commitment. 
Oh, interesting. In order to get into the game, both feet planted in. Like, for example, when two people are getting married, if they're really sincere with each other, if they're really authentic in relation to each other, to themselves, and to God, the universe, to spirit, this is about commitment, baby. Yeah. Which This is about both feet in the game. There's no more in or out. There's no more two directions. There's one direction and one direction only. That's when you're really authentic and you're the real deal. But, you know, you're probably thinking right now of even people you've known in the past of where, you know, they said they were the real deal until it got really hot. And then when it gets really, when the, when the kitchen and their experience with each other gets hot, all of a sudden one just bails. <laughs> they're, they're going out, even though they're standing right in front of you. But they're going out. In other words, their presence is no longer in the game. They're checking out for a short time. And uniquely enough, that's when the other partner who was checked out, they get checked back in. That's, that's the glue again. Like I said, that's what keeps them together. Wow, fascinating. And underneath that, in the deepest levels of their being, there, yes, and there could be that uh, fear of being alone, no, no question about it. Uh, but the, the one that I've seen over and over and over again with this game is it's the fear of commitment. One, that makes total sense. That's probably why I didn't get it right, though, is because I, I have a fear of commitment in a relationship right now. So of course, I couldn't see that answer. Yes, yes. Yes, there you go. We're working on that, right? Yes, we have And so this is so, you know, again, you got to be ready for it because to go there, I mean, that's going to be a little bit of a scary proposition to really confront that fear. Yeah. Because part of confronting that fear is you're going to have to go get committed. I mean, I mean, I mean, not to a hospital. Not to right. <laughs> Sorry, that made me laugh. <laughs> right. But you're going to have to get committed to this partnership, this friendship, this right. this relationship. You know, I, again, uh, many of my students they know that have been around me for a while, and you know this as well, Mickey. I often say this is when you get to that point, it's like one direction, one direction only. Yeah. That's where the magic really. If there's magic in this partnership, like divinely speaking. If there's magic in this relationship, as if it's a love relationship, divinely speaking, that's where the magic of love really gets activated in the best of ways, is when both parties are willing to fully commit to each other and to the greater of whatever the greater is these two parties are going to experience together in whatever form that might be. And so it's very powerful and tremendously empowering by the same token, if this is a game that you've been playing, it can be equally disempowering if you were to play this game for a long enough period of time. Sure. No, that makes total sense. Well, I'm going to be taking these uh, classes of yours a few more times, make sure I don't play this game and, and I'm really ready so I don't get into this. But <laughs> be my advice for anybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> So with a little bit of time we have left, how about you give us a couple strategies here for, uh, you already gave part of it away, which was to really um, become more aware, but uh, what are some things, you know, that was the other part of Stephanie's question here, was some strategies for not playing these games? Well, to expand on a little further about the awareness, so I want to take that just a little deeper. So what that would look like is the first step is you've got to identify, you've got to identify some kind of a game 
that you're willing to own up to, whatever that is. Now, obviously, in this particular podcast, I've given you three different examples of games. Uh, there are many more, needless to say, uh, but there's three. And so you might have one of these three or any one of these three possibly stimulates you, possibly helps to crack you open a little bit in terms of your awareness, where all of a sudden after listening to this episode, maybe a couple of times over, next thing you know, you see yourself playing a game, but it's a game that you really don't want to play anymore. And it could be a game that was not even spoken about here on today's episode. In other words, it's now coming to you more intuitively. And, and this is a, 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 the first key, is whatever it is, is to identify it. Because if we don't identify it, that means we don't see it. If we don't see it, we can't clear it. It's that simple. It can't happen. So, and this is where we've got to get our head out of the sand, as we might say. We've got to, we've got to be willing and brave enough to become more conscious and really start to look for it. Look for a, not all games, but just look for a game that you've been playing that is in resonance with you, meaning it's a game like, you know what, this game is not serving me. You know what, this game is not helping me. This game is not helping me to have a fulfilling relationship with somebody. This game is not helping me to build a successful career, um, you know, with my employer. This game is not helping me to have a real friendship that's truly authentic with another human being. This game is not helping me to raise a wonderful child who becomes a very healthy and mature adult. So whatever that is, to just the starting point is to identify it. To identify, to identify it because where it begins is in our willingness, in our readiness to see it. To see the game that we're playing where we recognize this game is not something we want to continue on much longer because we've now had enough consequential effect with this game. We've had enough pain around this game. We've had enough confusion or struggle or conflict around this game. Because again, all these games can cause all of that too. And so once it's identified, then from there, now you want to start working with it. So let's say it is the going back to the guilt game. And more specifically, you recognize I'm definitely a guilt thrower. In fact, I just did it with my mother before I jumped on this episode here today. I see it as clear as day, like this is freaking amazing. There's no accident right now that I ended up on this episode here with your podcast today. So, cause I see it. So now that I see it, I see that not only have I been playing the guilt game, but I see my role. I lean more towards being the guilt thrower. I just witnessed myself making my mother feel guilty. I just, you know, I look back and my husband or my wife or my child or my, my best friend or my colleague, I did the exact same thing just three days prior. Like I can see this. So this, this in itself begins to change everything because now that you see it, it's going to happen again that we can be assured of. The difference is when it starts to happen again. So think of it as like a, 
like a uh, like a program, like a program in your computer that 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 works through that of like a cycle, like a rhythm, right? Meaning it has a, a it has a beginning, it has a middle, and then it has an end, and then it ends, and then it starts all over again, something like that. So in this case, uh, you start to see how this even starts. How does this start when you're about to launch into the game of Gilderoy? Well, you might notice, for example, um, something that just happened in your life that scared you, startled you, stressed you. It created an anxiety for you. And next thing you know, you're looking for somebody to blame. And it could be your 13-year-old teenager that just happens to walk in through the front door that day from school and bamble, you just lamb, you lambast her or him. <laughs> and, and you catch it. You like literally see it. Like, what the heck am I? This is the game. This is the game. And so once that happens again, this is where that, uh, I sometimes refer to this as transformational magic because it is like a transformational magic. It starts to change things for us because what's happening we're starting to catch on because as we get better at catching on to what this is and kind of how it works and what are the what's the trigger to get us going and then where does it go next and so on and so forth as this is happening we're discovering something about ourselves we're discovering that there's a part of us that's really possibly committed to playing this game and in that this is where we go from not just identifying it now, uh, becoming even more acutely aware of it, but now we're starting to break it down, which really means we're now starting to connect with it. So that game that we're playing, um, it's an energy. It's an energy. That game is made up of things of like, thing, uh, like things like thoughts, thought forms, ways of thinking, thinking patterns. That game is made up of feelings, emotions, um, emotional material that's still inside of us, including fear. Um, so all of a sudden, as I start to uh, let myself um, and even become fascinated with it to some degree, uh, to begin to explore this, like, what is this? What is this? Then I start to see these other thoughts, like we're talking about in the guilt game from the guilt thrower's perspective, or no, pardon me, the guilt catcher's perspective, if I've been a guilt, get guilt catcher for the last 20 years of my life, then I'm going to have thoughts that are going to go along with this. As in, you're making me feel guilty right now. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And so we've already, um, or I've already spoken about that. So you can play back the episode if you need to go back and revisit what I said on that earlier on. But nonetheless, you can see now where that's coming from. That, that, that's a thought form that's rooted in a pocket of emotion that's coming to the surface. And if you're, again, willing and ready, so now you recognize that about yourself, you start to, you like literally begin to see these thought forms that are in this, this game. Um, and so, and the thought form from the guilt thrower perspective could be something like, you know, uh, you did me wrong, you hurt me, and now I'm gonna make you pay. Um, and again, don't quote me exactly because it's going to be very unique to each individual. But this is the type of stuff that you're going to literally hear 
as a thought form that's going to show up for you. And some of these thought forms you're going to be fascinated by, like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, that's been inside of you for who knows how long. And that could be a good question, too. Where did it come from? Maybe you picked this up from your mom or dad. Maybe you picked this up from a sibling. Maybe you picked this up from a teacher. Maybe you picked this up from an aunt or uncle. You get the idea. So that's another part of the journey is maybe where did you get it from, right? But not, not with the intent being that, you know, once I identify, I got this from my dad. So now, now I'm going to go back and I'm going to blame my dad, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not going to, because that would be non-productive now. That would be possibly even destructive, yeah. right? Because you remember at some point, this is also I say with these games and even some of my other teachings, whenever we're looking at ourselves and then we go back to our mom or dad, because those were the two most important people in our life from the very beginning, we go back to mom and dad, and especially when we like, God, why did I end up with the dad I ended up with? Or why did I end up with the mom I ended up with? This kind of sucks. I'm going I'm to go and give her a piece of my mind now, now that I'm 38 years of age. Well, um, why didn't she know better? Why didn't he know better? Why did he do this to me? And so on and so forth. It's important to remember that at some point before your mom became a mom, before your dad became your dad, they too were a child. And they too had a set of parents that they were exposed to a certain kind of parental style. Please remember this moving forward. Please remember this. And so... But in this, it is good to, if you can trace it back and you come up like, no, this is the way my dad thought. How do I know that? Because I literally have memory of my dad speaking this way. He'd get really upset and he'd start blaming or projectiling. And some of the words that come out of his mouth, remember the words that come out of our mouth are nothing more than thoughts that we've had inside of us. Whether they're fresh new thoughts or thoughts that have been running around, like even running rampant within us for who knows how long. And so that's why it will give itself away once you start to open yourself to this. And then you'll be on a journey for a little while where you will discover more things about this one particular game. As you're discovering that, then lastly, what you can do is, um, you know, everybody knows what journaling is. So I refer to this as trans journaling, trans journaling. Trans taken from the word transformation and then blended into the word journal or journaling. So it's an active exercise. It can be incredibly helpful. It doesn't cost you a penny to do it. Um, you don't need to spend a lot of time doing it, but in many cases, uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes kind of thing. I talk about this in my book, Being Called to Change. It's, uh, it's just really a simple and yet a profound practice transformationally wise that, like I said, anybody, anywhere, at any time can do. And what that is, is once you start to identify this and you're starting to break it down a little bit, then more thoughts are coming to you, more feelings are coming up for you, bring out a pad of paper or even one of those, you know, $4 notebooks kind of thing and title it my trans journal, as in transformation, and then start journaling and literally write out onto paper. Now, notice I'm saying writing out. Notice I'm not saying type it in your computer. Another conversation, perhaps for another time. There's something else that happens when you actually take the time to take a pen and write it on a piece of paper. Something else happens. I know some of you, but I'm so used to typing. I get it. I like typing too. But for, on a transformational level, 
something else happens when you actually put your thoughts or put your feelings to literally a sheet of paper. I know it sounds failed. Now, that's way too simple for me, right? But sometimes some of the simplest things are the most profound things. <laughs> and this most certainly uh, comes into that teaching. So now at this point, you just start journaling. And when you're journaling, you just, whatever comes to you, you just journal it like it's unedited. You just see yourself almost like a conduit or like a channel. And so as the thought or the feeling comes to you around this particular game that you've been playing, just go ahead and put it to paper. No matter how ugly it looks, no matter how weird it sounds, just put it to paper. And then just keep on writing until you feel a sense of completion. And you will feel a sense of completion. And again, this might take you 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes maybe. Um, but you'll feel a sense of completion. In other words, all of a sudden the thoughts will go quiet or the feelings will calm down, right? Well, in that experience, what's happening, again, see it as energy. In this exercise, what you're doing is you're giving that energy that's been trapped inside of you a place to go. It's like a healthy outlet. Because once this energy comes through you and through your hand or your left hand, whichever way you write from, and you put it to paper, right? There's also some kind of a release. Now, it might be very subtle, but there's some kind of a release. And while there's that release going on, there could be even a deeper discovery on the horizon around this game that you've been playing for however long you've been playing. So it can be very enriching, uh, um, incredibly beneficial for the reasons I just said, and even empowering. And then from there, you just do more and more of that and you get a better handle on it and everything starts to jar loose more and more. Again, it's an energy, the game itself. And over time, you start to see a little bit of a difference where all of a sudden you're about to play out the game and you stop yourself. You just stop yourself. You say, no, nah, uh, 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 I see you now. I see you and I'm not going down that rabbit hole now. I don't want that negative karma. I don't want to harm anybody. Rather, what I want to do is I want to take responsibility for this energy that's inside of me. And I want to do something now constructive with it that ultimately helps to empower me so I can now then become a perhaps better parent or I can become a better husband or I can become a better wife or I can become a better friend or I can become a better colleague or I can become a better career professional and you get it from there. Wow, brilliant. Oh. I love the games. I'm so glad this question got sent in. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> it is. It is. So, well, thank you, Stephanie. I hope that answered your questions. And if you want more on this teaching, as Dell and I were discussing, you can go to uh, check out the course, How to Create Extraordinary Relationships. Um, that's on Dell Halloway's website, dellhalloway.com, D-A-L-E-H-A-L-A-W-A. Ay.com. And then watch also for that expanded course on the games in the Relationship and You series that'll be coming soon. So with that, Dell, woo, that was fun. Yeah, that was. That was. <laughs> and and you know, and 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 these games, again, there's a, quite a few of them. Um, but these games, as you take the time to learn what they are, and then more specifically, what are the games that you've been playing or games that you know, even after you clear a couple of them, all of a sudden another one pops up out of nowhere. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> right. And so 
but the but the truth is you can also have fun with them too um because that helps to kind of lighten it up a little bit as well um and again it's it's it aids tremendously in that discovery process in discovering whatever it is you're discovering about yourself that's of value to you so that you can become that better person uh, whoever that is that you've defined yourself to be or whoever it is that you've chosen i want to become more like that uh in my life so for sure recognizing your games no pun intended is a game changer all right well we have gone over time here but it has been awesome and well worth it so um hey remember everybody our best question bonus giveaway send your best question that you want answered by dale to askdale at askdaleanything.com. And you can get your question answered and be entered for a chance to win one of Dale's transformational courses, possibly even the How to Create Extraordinary Relationships one that we just discussed. And any of those courses can change your life for the better. So thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Yeah, big time. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. And if you found Dale's teachings helpful and you want to get more of them, then you might really like his free ebook that we have for you, 12 Simple Ways to Change Your Life in 30 Days. You can download it for free at dellhalloway.com forward slash practices. That's dellhalloway.com forward slash practices. In it, you'll find 12 simple ways explained to you in exact step-by-step -step fashion that will cause your life to move forward in the next month. Simply choose one of the practices, any one of them, do it for 30 days straight, and you'll see a new you begin to manifest. I am not kidding. Download your free copy today at dalehalaway.com forward slash practices. Oh, and by the way, if you know anybody who might find this content helpful, please share it with them. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you next time.